So what we do as humans is we keep focusing on what we're doing. Like if I want to sell more, I got to work harder. I got to do different things, right? The problem is you got to understand the emotions and the thoughts that are driving those behaviors. Hmm. And what I tell people is if you want temporary change in your life, focus on what you're doing. If you want permanent change, you got to focus on what you're thinking because the thinking is the foundation of all of it. It's Hmm. triggering the emotions that trigger the behaviors that create the results. So it really is about understanding that relationship and how those things work. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner. We have a really very special guest on today's podcast, Weldon Long. He is a successful entrepreneur sales expert, which is going to be relevant for all of you listening. He wrote a New York Times bestseller, The Power of Consistency, the Prosperity Mindset Training for Sales Business Professionals. And you'll see the very first half, if not the majority of this conversation is around mindset and prosperity mindset. In 2009, his business was selected by Inc. Magazine as one of America's fastest growing privately held companies. Today, Weldon finds himself as really one of the nation's most powerful speakers. And as we come out of COVID, he's continued to get more and more requests. And he's really just a driven motivator. He's very practical. And you'll sense that in our conversation. We end up talking about that towards the end. And if you've not read one of his books, I just highly recommend that you pick up one of his books because his books read that way. They're just very practical in nature. I cannot wait to introduce to all of you, Mr. Weldon Long. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating A-B split testing and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low pay-per-clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in-depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the DirectClicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top-performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, We have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Happy to be here. Good to be back in a comfortable, familiar place. Well, then we start every podcast talking about just background and origin story. I just think it's fascinating to learn kind of where people's stories are, how they got to where they are today. And truly, I believe I've read all of your books that you have one of the most fascinating, interesting backstories of anybody that we've had on the podcast. And I know it's been a huge catalyst to where you are today. So for those that don't know you, maybe haven't read your books, can you just walk us through your story? Absolutely. So uh, at this stage of my life, I've written a few books, as you've mentioned. I am a speaker and trainer consultant writer in the sales industry. 
And uh, really the backbone of my story, my training is not just the sales process, but more important, the mindset, right? Having the prosperity mindset to thrive in the face of adversity. And that mindset for me came from 25 years of struggle, 25 years of poverty, homelessness. I spent 13 years in prison. I was a ninth grade high school dropout and really just kind of threw my life away for about 25 years and went to prison the first time at 23 years old. As I mentioned, I dropped out of high school at 15 and you know, was just out there running amok and went to the penitentiary for about four and a half years after pulling a gun on the guy, got out, convicted felon at that point, really didn't see much opportunity, went back to prison on parole violations and gun charges, did a couple of years, got out again, got involved in some sketchy telemarketing, got a federal case for money laundering and mail fraud, went to the federal joint for seven years. And, you know, it was during that last seven years that kind of had this moment of clarity when I was 32 years old. It was June 10th of 1996. My father died unexpectedly at 59 years old. And that was my real wake up call. So I set out in this journey of trying to figure out what successful people do. My master plan was to do whatever that was and, and kind of figure it out. January of 2003 at 39 years old, I walked out of prison the last time to a homeless shelter because of the mindset change. Within five years, I've built an eight, 5,000 company, had written my first book and was well on my way to build a speaking and consulting career. So it's a, only an America type story for sure. Lots of peaks, lots of valleys. Well, then one main question I wanted to ask you and knowing your story and reading your books is for some of us, whether it's a health scare, a family member has passed away, we've been in a serious accident, a major business failure, something has happened to many people listening to this podcast that has prompted them to relook at their life. Yeah. But at the same time, we shouldn't have to have a health scare, a family situation to have the mindset that you're talking about, the prosperity mindset. So what are the things that we can do? What is the mindset that we actually need to have so that we don't have to go through that type of event right. to get the change that you're referring to? Right. Well, that's a very, very good point. And human beings are motivated by two kind of central factors. We're moving towards pleasure or away from pain. So I could go to the gym proactively and work out and maintain good health, that would be pursuing something pleasurable. Most people, however, don't start going until they get a heart attack and they're moving away from pain, right? Because pain, unfortunately, is a far bigger motivator for us to take action. And so with respect to being proactive and not waiting for that catastrophe, for that divorce, for that bankruptcy, for that health scare to get us off our butts and moving ahead, it really comes down to focus and having purpose. Most of us go through life, we wake up every day and we start thinking. We're thinking about breakfast, we're thinking about work, thinking about our kids, thinking about our family, thinking, 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 but we don't take a lot of time to think about what we're thinking about, right? We're just like almost on autopilot. And one of the things I have found, what profoundly changed my life was getting focus and purpose. And there's just so much in the history of writing around the world about the power of this focus. I was just doing an event this morning, a digital event for a Canadian company, and we were talking about the power of purpose and power of focus. And I was sharing with them six words from a James Allen book. And I'll just share it with you real quick. It's so interesting. Yeah. And it's six words that it just really sums up this whole topic. And it's just super powerful. Listen to this. Dispersion is weakness. Concentration is power. Mm. Now, dispersion is weakness, right? That to me is a person who's very scatterbrained. That was the essence of my life for 25 years. I was all over the place. I didn't know what I was doing next. I was kind of at the mercy of the sea, right? Just whichever way the current took. That's dispersion. That's people that wake up every day without a clear purpose. Like, okay, I'm here. Let's see what happens. That's weakness, according to James Allen. I believe it, right? Concentration is power. He goes on in that same essay, by the way, and he writes that purpose is the keystone of all achievement. Hmm. So I think that getting to your point about how do we proactively pursue goals Rather than reactively move away from some kind of pain, you got to find purpose. You got to take the time to get clarity on really what you want to accomplish in your life. Then you have a specific purpose. He goes on again in that same essay to talk about between the thinker and the objective, right? Between me and the thing that I'm trying to accomplish, there's going to be obstacles. And the thing that will get me through those obstacles or not is purpose. If I have purpose, I'll keep plowing ahead. If I don't have purpose, what's going to happen at the first sign of resistance? Path of least resistance, take a different direction. So I think purpose and focus is the key to develop that proactivity, not to have to wait for that heart attack. 
I had my own health scare in August of 2015, and it was a turning moment in my life. And it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I find myself in a cardiologist at 35 years old, wondering if I'm having a heart attack and it's anxiety and probably a little too much caffeine and other things. But you would never recommend to someone to actually do that, right? right. I mean, and say, oh, we'll just go push yourself to the limit and feel like right. you're having a heart attack and then you'll change your life. Right. What happened when you were, so your father passed. So mm-hmm. take me like maybe through that first year after you're in the prison, your father has passed away. Yeah. What are the things that you did to begin to actually put together what is now your prosperity plan and that yeah. prosperity mindset? What did you do? Yeah, it's so funny looking back 25 years ago because I didn't know what I was doing then, right? Because I was just in survival. I had read in uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, that when you can find purpose in your suffering, then you find real meaning in your life. And I'm like, well, okay, I got plenty of suffering here. If I can find some purpose, right? If I can find some benefit to this struggle, maybe it'll all work out. So I'm 32 years old. My dad dies. And this happened within a few hours of my dad dying. I just made this decision like, this is it, right? Enough excuses, enough BS. And I remember walking out of my cell and walked down. I was in the second tier in the cell house. I walked down to the very end of the tier in the cell house. And there was a kind of a mop closet type room where we kept mops and cleaning supplies and stuff. And there was a big cardboard box in there and it was full of used books, donated books. The cops would just come in and throw those books in there. And I started rifling through that box, just desperate for something. And I stumbled across a copy of The Seven Habits, right? Stephen Covey. Mm. And not knowing, of course, that years later, Dr. Covey would endorse my books. We would become friends and develop a relationship. But at that point, I'm just a knucklehead in the prison cell. But I find that book and I take it back to my cell. And in the introduction of Seven Habits, Dr. Covey talks about this concept that you have the opportunity, the ability to live out of your imagination rather than your past. And that was huge for me because my past was violence, poverty, incarceration, et cetera, et cetera. And so the notion that I could live out of my imagination, well, I had a very vivid imagination. And it was shortly after that, I read two things that really it didn't crystallize it. It began the process of crystallizing it. And one was a Frederick Nietzsche quote that we attract that which we fear. The other is a scripture in Job where Job says, Father, that which I have feared has come upon me. And it occurred to me that in both of those situations, that Nietzsche and Job were talking about attracting things that we fear into our life, things that we don't want. And what was really interesting is that Job was a God-fearing man. Nietzsche was an atheist, separated by thousands of years, and they were saying the same thing. And that was really remarkable for me, right? We attract that which we fear. So I sat down and started thinking about what do I fear most of my life? Well, it was living and dying in prison. I had a three-year-old son. I had fathered out in parole. When I was out on parole, I had abandoned him. And so my biggest fear was living and dying in prison, never knowing my son, being a loser, being homeless. Well, my life was a perfect reflection of my greatest fears. So it was at that point that I realized, and we can kind of get into what the next steps were, but at that point I realized, man, I got to start thinking about what I think about. Because all this crazy stuff in here, it's getting out of my head. All the chaos is getting out of my head and showing up in my life. Okay. So I do want to ask about next steps and what you did after that, et cetera. And then I've actually got some questions around selling specifically, like in today's age, especially of being distracted because it kind of speaks to the focus part. But before that, obviously, because we're really right now talking about the purpose part, one of the things that you did have at your disposal is time to think. That is one thing. We don't give ourselves enough time to think. We're so busy on our phones and in our businesses and our families and all of those kind of things. Why is it so important that we take the time to pour into our own development, whether it's reading books, reading your books, by the way, your books are amazing. But why do we need to make sure that we're setting aside time just to be able to think? Because that is one advantage that you did have at the time. Now you were pouring really good things into you. So just speak to that for a second. Well, having that kind of time was a double-edged sword. It's like anything, too much of anything can be bad, right? That's true. I had too much. Definitely, it was helpful to me. And by the way, I appreciate the compliments on my books. I tell people my books are very easy to read because they were written by a ninth grader. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. Seriously, I'm not just making this up because (laughs) having your own podcast, I mean, your books are incredible. They really are because, I don't know, I feel like that whenever you're there, you can just relate so much to the story. And it puts in perspective things in our life about, what you went through and then kind of some of the struggles that maybe I may be going through and I'm saying, well, my goodness, my mindset's garbage compared to the mindset that you developed there and then carried out. But anyway, we'll get the greatest gift I have that not very much gets me down. Like my staff joke that I do my best work under pressure. Like when things are hitting the fan and my back's against the wall, that's when I get it done because I just thrive under that kind of pressure. 
getting back to the original question though, which I think is really important. That's about finding the time. It's yeah. easy to say, well, we got to take time. We got to nurture our souls. We got to nurture our minds, nurture our spirit, work on prosperity plans, reflect, meditate and things. But it's tough because we are all so busy. And I will tell you this, it's especially hard for women. Women are better nurturers than men and very selfless in most cases. And women will run themselves ragged, giving to their family, the people they love at their own expense. Frankly, men are way more willing to say, I'm going to play golf. I'm out of here. Or I'm going to do something. We'll just do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it's funny, this event in uh, Canada this morning, a woman asked that question and we were having this exact same conversation because you got to carve out the time. It's hard to find a little bit of time for yourself. But if you don't do that, that's where the real quality of life comes from, right? Just slowing down. We talk about smelling the roses. And when you're running a gazillion miles an hour, and I do run fast, don't get me wrong, because I'm always doing this and doing that. But I'm very deliberate to carve out time. But I'm just kind of in the RV with my wife at the Grand Canyon, something like that. I make sure I take that kind of time. Now, what I encourage people to do, we talk about the prosperity plan and what I call a quiet time ritual. It's just 15 minutes a day reviewing your life's purpose reviewing your life's key priorities, relationships, money, and health, right? The key things in your life, your financial well-being, your relationship well-being, and your health, right? Physical, mental, or spiritual health. So start small. It's like everything, right? A thousand-mile journey begins with a single step. Carve out 15 minutes a day to work on your prosperity plan, to work on your life's objectives, and to review it. And here's what happens. The quiet time ritual, there's so many good things that come out of that. But one of the most important lessons I've learned from a quiet time ritual, it teaches us the invaluable concept of living in the present moment. Mm. When you focus on your life and what you're going to do and what you're all about and shut out everything else, you are living in the present moment. And one of the things I've learned is that hurt, anger, resentment, those things don't really exist in the present moment right? They happened before and we tend to drag them along through our life. And just like you'd mentioned some anxiety and things like that, those really don't exist right now. Those are concerns about the future. And the habit of living in the present moment, it's what the most successful people do. They'll look at the past and learn from it. They'll look at the future and plan for it. But 90% of their time is spent in the present moment. And the crazy thing is that in the present moment, it's pretty peaceful. I do an exercise on doing my live events. I'll have the audience pick up any item, a calculator, a cup of coffee, a phone, a pen. And I'll tell them for 10 seconds, I want you to like describe that item in your hand in painstaking detail, the texture, the colors, the contours, if there's writing on it, every letter, the temperature, everything for 10 seconds. And the audience will do that. At the conclusion of that, I'll say now, how many of you during that 10 seconds were hurting over something from your past? Mm. Nobody. How many of you are worried about the future? Nobody, right? Because when you're that absorbed in the present moment, there is no pain and suffering. Now, there are exceptions to that. Like if you're being mugged and attacked, there's real pain in that present moment. But those are very brief moments in time in our life. Typically, we'll have these bad things happen. People die. People get divorced. When it's really happening, it's in your present. But very quickly, it becomes in our past. And it's a choice to bring that along with us or not. And so what I tell people is you got to make the conscious decision to carve out the time. I don't care if it's just 10 or 15 minutes a day and take off that backpack of pain, you know, because as you go through life, you accumulate all these boulders of disappointment. We've all been lied to and screwed over and disappointment and betrayed, right? And that stuff starts piling up like in a backpack. Before you know it, you're 40 years old and you feel like you got the weight in your world. What I tell people is take 10 or 15 minutes a day. Take off that backpack, set it down, pick up the plan for your life and completely absorb yourself in that for 15 minutes. Instead of 10 seconds like you did with that pen in your hand, focus on your life for 15 minutes and get completely absorbed in the present moment. If you're a glutton for punishment, guess what? That bag of pain will be sitting right there when you're done. You can strap it right back on. But what happens, you start realizing the joy and the peace that comes from living in that 15 minutes and you become less and less willing to pick up all the bullshit in that bag. And you start learning to live without that stuff. Like, wow, I keep recurring this memory of my ex-wife and it's just making me angry. You realize that you can set it down, pick it up every now and then if you want to be miserable. But, you know, you talked about being proactive doing this. It is a conscious decision to get involved in this process. And that's what the power of consistency, my first book, our second book rather, is all about. So quick question on this. I know that you've gone to events and you were in Salt Lake and as hopefully the pandemic continues to open up, we'll be traveling to events and getting back together. And I know that you've had probably so many emails and messages to you of people that have either read your books or gone to your events that's changed their life. 
But there's so many other people that go to these events, hear this, and they say, this is amazing. That's right. He's so right about this. I need to do it. And they never do it. Right. They hear it. It's a great idea. They're taking notes. They're like, this is amazing. But they never do it. What's yep. the difference between the two? You know, Zig Ziglar used to say, it's all common sense. It's just not common practice. Mm. And there's another famous quote. I don't know who said it first. But uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I think a lot of it's timing. I think a lot of it's timing. And you mentioned earlier that we shouldn't have to wait until there's some catastrophe in our life before we take decisive action. But you know what? It usually takes a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of pain, hopefully not too much, yeah. hopefully not complete catastrophe in your life falling apart. But it typically takes some type of discomfort for us to start taking a look. Somebody asked me on that Canadian company I was working with this morning, they asked me, would my life be the same if I hadn't gone to prison and my dad hadn't died? And I'm like, no, I don't think any of this great stuff would have happened. If I had like finished high school and gone to law school and become a lawyer, I'd be having a nice little life. But I don't think there's a chance in the world I'd be having the impact and living the life I'm living now. It was all that suffering that drove me. I believe in that slingshot effect, right? The further that slingshot goes back, boom, right? The disproportionate amount it goes forward. And if you look at the most successful inspirational people, they're almost always there's some tragedy in their life, right? Yeah. Because it's that overcoming adversity that inspires us. As you said earlier, when you look at someone's story like mine or people that have had way worse misfortunes than me, it's like, man, if they can overcome that, I can deal with this bankruptcy that was five years ago that I can move on yeah. from or that yeah. divorce or whatever. And we got to put our pain in perspective, right? I've got a friend of mine. One of his favorite quotes he always says is that comparison is the thief of joy. Right. Because we tend to compare ourselves to people that we perceive as being better. But I also believe that comparison can be the motivation for joy if we compare ourselves to people in worse situations. Right. I had a very smart guy tell me, a very successful entrepreneur. He says, you know, we're always like measuring forward. Like, I got to do this. I got to do that. He said, why don't you take some time every now and then just to measure back? Where were you five years ago? Look yeah. how far you come in five yeah. years and 10 years. Because it's stressful always looking forward, right? You're trying to achieve this, trying to achieve that. And when you look back sometimes, it's like, holy cow, I've come a long way. So it really is about keeping things in perspective. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking is perspective. That was the word that was kind of coming in my mind. And we do the quiet time ritual. We're taking the 15 minutes every day to think about our relationships, our money, and our health. But inevitably, there's still going to be days that are going to be bad. And there's going to be stress and there's going to be anxiety. And I know that there were times even after the passing of your father that I'm sure you felt discouraged, depressed, had anxiety in there. And I'm sure it, it even happens today that there are tough days. But obviously, you've built a resiliency in your life and a mindset around that. What can you say to the person that is having that? Sometimes they'll just get in a funk. I mean, honestly, I can get in a funk sometimes. And there's a difference of being in a funk for 20 minutes versus two weeks. All right. Like everything else, I think knowledge is power. So like every now and then we all get in a bad mood. Like you said, it could be 20 minutes, maybe you have an argument with your wife or a coworker and you get in a bad mood. If you stay in that bad mood for a while, it becomes a bad attitude. Yeah. If you stay in that bad attitude long enough, it becomes a personality, right? So we got to mm. make sure that we nip it in the bud in the bad mood because that's human nature. I don't care who you are. People are going to have days that they feel in that funk, Right. We got to be willing to nip it in the bud and understand, wow, if I stay here, it's not going to be a good thing. The other part of this is kind of one of the primary drivers of psychology, human behavior, and that is cognitive dissonance. The beautiful part about the quiet time ritual and reviewing all the things that you're going to do with your life, all the crazy things, there are going to be days where you just don't feel like going to the gym. You're just not up to it. And that's okay, yeah. right? Because your life is going to be a reflection of what you do 80% of the time, right? Yeah. Nobody's perfect. But if I'm reading that quiet time ritual every single day, if I continue to be down, if I don't start doing those things, at some point I feel dissonance, right? The difference between what I told myself I'm going to do and what I'm actually doing. You can't tell yourself you're going to live your life a certain way and then go out and do a completely different thing. You'll tear yourself apart. Human condition want to be in a state of resonance. So if I'm in a state of dissonance because I tell myself, well, I live my life all those great ways, but I'm having a bad day and I don't do it, I'm going to feel dissonance that day. So that dissonance will drive me, hopefully, the next day to do the right thing. And it's that constant desire for humans to get back to resonance that drives the positive behaviors. Now, there's also another way that you can get to resonance, which is not very healthy, and that is to get rid of the plan. Never review it. Let yourself off the hook. 
Now you go out and do whatever you want. Guess what? There'll be no dissonance because there was never any standard of accountability that you held yourself to. Mm. Right. So the key to getting out of the funk is to stay with the plan, review it every single day, even on days that you don't do it, do the plan anyway, and then go eat the Twinkies. Don't go to the gym, take the day off, yell at your wife, whatever you want to do, have a bad day, but continue reading the plan because the next day you won't let yourself get away with it again. That's right. Now, if you rationalize it, human behavior is so crazy. We can rationalize anything. I remember one time I lived up in the mountain, had a cabin up in the mountains where I do a lot of writing in this shed. And I used to smoke cigars. I'd smoke cigars three or four times a day. And I had this shed, very small, 15 feet by 15 feet, little log shed. And I'd sit in there with my desk and my computer. I'd smoke my cigars. And I'm in there smoking cigars one day writing. And I look up and the smoke is so thick you can cut it with a knife. There were just three small windows in this cabin. And the light caught it just right, the sunlight. And you know how you could see it, like the piercing through the smoke. And I'm like, holy cow, I got to be killing myself here because I'm not just smoking it. I'm like re-smoking it and re-smoking it because I'm trapped in this room. So I did the very natural thing. I began to rationalize it. And so I started doing a Google search on finding an article that would tell me and convince me that cigar smoking wasn't as bad as cigarette smoking. I I was desperate (laughs) to find this information. And so it took a long time. I had to keep searching and keep searching. And thank God I finally found one, of course, published by the National Cigar Growers Association, that smoking cigars is perfectly fine, right? The problem was I had read 20 articles saying it was going to kill me. Yes. And that was the end of my cigar smoking. I will smoke one occasionally outside of the golf course, but nothing like I used to. We will rationalize and we will search for information to rationalize destructive behavior. Got to be very well, very careful about that and be aware of it. You were the one that actually introduced me to the word or terminology, cognitive dissonance, and I use it now all the time. It is actually now in my vocabulary. And so thank you for that. And actually, it's a great transition into what I wanted to ask you about, which is really connecting thoughts to results. And I know you talk about thoughts and emotions, Mm -hmm. actions and results. And so can you speak on that? Because then I want to kind of transition the conversation into focus and then ultimately into selling Well, when you think about the relationship between what you're thinking and what you're getting in life and you understand that connection, we begin to learn the importance of thinking about what we think about, right? So neurologically in your brain, you have a thought. It sends a signal to a part of your brain called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus begins to secrete chemicals that triggers an emotion. Those emotions trigger your behavior. Those behaviors trigger your results, right? So the key is to understand the connection. Now, it's kind of hard for us as humans because, you know, it goes thoughts, emotions, actions, and results. Well, we can see our actions and we can see our results. So we kind of connected that. The emotions and thoughts are invisible and kind of out of sight, out of mind. So what we do as humans is we keep focusing on what we're doing. Like if I want to sell more, I got to work harder. I got to do different things, right? The problem is you got to understand the emotions and the thoughts that are driving those behaviors. And what I tell people is if you want temporary change in your life, focus on what you're doing. If you want permanent change, you got to focus on what you're thinking because the thinking is the foundation of all of it. It's Mm. triggering the emotions that trigger the behaviors that create the results. So it really is about understanding that relationship and how those things work and saying, okay, it's not enough just to try to change my behaviors because anybody can change their behavior short term. What do you think the first thing I said to myself when I walked out of prison the first two times? Mm. I ain't going back to prison. I got to start doing different things, right? So I started trying to do different things, but my fundamental thoughts, my fundamental emotions and belief system were so fractured that eventually those would begin to dominate and drive the destructive behaviors and, of course, results. So it's understanding that relationship between thoughts, emotions, actions, and results, and that if you want to get to the core of it, you got to focus on what you're thinking. It's like Emerson said, we become what we think all day long, and I just think that's such a true thing. I hadn't thought about this until right now. The beginning of the year, there's a lot of people that read books on habits. I mean, one of the books came out recently, Atomic Habits by James Clear. But those are actions. Those are actions. And so what you're referring to, you know, there's an interesting article that just came out about Trevor Lawrence, probably the number one draft pick of the upcoming NFL draft. And he was talking about his motivation or whatever. But then it kind of got skewed. And ultimately, then there was talk about habits and the importance of habits. But really, before habits can even be established, there's got to be thinking before that. Yeah. I have an expression. I say life is a highway. And what I mean by that, just like the highway system in your town with all the roads and overpasses, underpasses, exits, right? You have a very similar highway system in your brain. They're called neural pathways. And they're just highways. But instead of cars running down those highways, like on the interstates, you have thoughts running down those highways. And those thoughts get you to a 
particular destination. Just like if you follow the highways from your house to Chicago and you follow those directions and those, you're going to get to Chicago every time. You're never going to accidentally end up in LA, right? Well, your thoughts, the thoughts running down your neural pathways in your brain are getting you to a particular destination. If I want to go somewhere else, I can't just change my behaviors. I got to change my habitual thoughts, those highways of thoughts, because it's those habitual thoughts that are creating the results. The actions are just a byproduct of what we're thinking and feeling, right? So you can change those temporarily, but if you want to permanently change them, you got to change the foundation, which is the thought and emotion. So yeah, absolutely. I tried to think of a lot of creative ways to ask this question, but I couldn't think of any other way except to just ask it directly. Why is focus so doggone hard in 2021 right now? Well, I think like sociologically and just the time in which we live, it's one of the most opportune times in the world, but there's a lot of distractions. And I think there's a lot of things pulling life. It can be stressful, right? And when you think about all the distractions, I think it's a very natural human nature thing to get distracted by this and be interested in that. And right. It takes effort to settle down your mind, quiet down your mind and focus. The hyperactivity is kind of the easy way out. It actually takes effort to settle down kind of what the Eastern philosopher would call the quiet mind, right? That takes a lot of work and practice. So I think it's just a path of least resistance that it takes work to do that. It takes effort. There's a great book I read years ago called Real Magic written by Wayne Dyer. And he talks about getting in this kind of meditative state on the difference between these alpha brain waves and these beta brain waves, right? So the alpha brain waves, and I'm not a neuroscientist, but as I understand it, alpha brain waves are kind of like very modest peaks and valleys, right? Very kind of smooth. If you were monitoring your brain, the activity is kind of smooth. And beta brain waves are like up and down and up and down all over the case, right? So when we're sleeping, we hope to get to this alpha state. That's how you settle down. And you can sleep. If you got beta brain waves, it's hard to sleep, right? You stay up all night worrying about the bills, worrying about your kids or whatever, right? The key to meditation is that you got to try to get this alpha state, but do it while you're awake and conscious. Mm. And that's what meditation is all about. It's being awake because we all go to alpha state. If we're going to sleep, you're in an alpha state, right? But to do it while you're awake and quiet everything down into what, again, the Eastern philosopher would say nothingness, right? Just there's nothing there. And it's hard not to think. And there's lots of exercises, lots of great books on meditation, but it's just, I think it runs counterintuitively to human nature. That's why so few people do it. Honestly, I really appreciate the fact that you, I think it's kind of the way that your books read is that they are really kind of straight to the point to say, no, it's really hard actually, because I think there's sometimes, whether it's a book or some podcast I've listened to, or just, I don't know, sometimes there's a positioning that well, focus should just be easy. You just do it. And then it honestly, some people end up making themselves feel bad because they think I'm having such a hard time of focusing. I was actually speaking to a business this morning and they work with families of kids who are either autistic and ADD, ADHD. But I think that there's also this almost acquired ADHD that we can have because we're taking in so many screens, whether it's our phone and computer screens and all these inputs and dings. And I think it's actually a real thing. And it is very difficult to focus. I think it comes down to one of the questions I ask myself and other people all the time. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want peace and tranquility in your life? So in Wayne Dyer's book and other books I've read, when you want to go to this meditative state, this alpha state, right? There's several different ways to do it in exercises, but you focus on your breathing And maybe you concentrate on a noise of water or something like that. And the final step, though, and the Wayne Dyer kind of strategy is that once you get to that place, the final step is to count backwards, right, from maybe 24, which is kind of a random number he picked, or maybe 14. But you count down from that down to one, and you picture each number clearly in your mind. And if at any point between 24 and 1, something else flashes into your consciousness, you got to start over. Oh, man. And I tell you, there are times where I will just like, I got to keep trying. It will take, I can't even count how many times before I can finally get my mind quiet enough that I can go from even 14 and see each number brilliantly in my mind's eye and get to that zero. And when I get to that zero, then I know I'm in quiet mind and I walk out to this lake and around the edge of this lake, there's one single tree and there's a bench there. And I sit in that bench and believe it or not, I can have conversations with anybody I want to have conversations with. Mm. I've walked to that bench and there's a road that walks up to that bench. 
and I'll invite my dad to come in and I'll talk to my dad. And it's just as real to me as if he was there. I'll bring my son in. And there've been times, Bradley, where like I could tell something's bothering my kid and he won't tell me what it is. And I'll go to this place and I'll invite him in to sit down and he'll, and I'll know what it is. And I'll go, son, is this bothering you? And be like, how do you know? I'm telling you, man, our brain and our subconscious mind is so friggin' powerful that so much of what we want to know, we already know. And it's mm-hmm. just tapping into that quiet place. People talk about like praying is talking, meditating is listening. Mm-hmm. And you listen and you'll hear what you need to hear to figure out what you need to know. But it's work. I'm not going to tell you it's just easy. I don't just like turn the computer off and like, hmm. I mean, it's like right. it's a process, man. Oh, man, that's awesome. We've talked about mindset on the podcast with so many different guests, but honestly, I was so excited to talk to you about mindset and prosperity plans today for this very reason. All right, so I have to obviously transition to sales and talk about sales because everybody listening to this is a salesperson at heart, number one, as a business owner, but number two, they have a sales team that they are managing and leading. And we just talked about focus. That's why I wanted to transition from focus to talking then about selling And I think consistently really comes into play with that. There is not a single person listening to this that does not want their sales team to be more consistent. They would rather them sell at a certain average number every month instead of the ups and downs. So I know that's a really broad question to start with, but how can we as leaders of sales teams get our teams to be able to sell more consistently? Yeah, it's using the prosperity plan. So I've got a client of mine, been a client for many years. It's a pretty small agency, insurance agency, four or five people. And they came to a training years ago and we were talking afterwards. And I said, well, what would change your business? I was talking to the owner. He goes, if everybody would make five new contacts, just reach out to five new people every day. I said, okay, so that's the thing you want to achieve, right? And he said, yes. So we did kind of a company prosperity plan. Everybody had their own individual stuff, but we also had the company goals. And one of the things on there was an affirmative statement that everybody would agree to and read every day that I make five new cold calls per day. It was just in the corner of their morning roundup. They would all make that public declaration. Remember, public declarations dictate future Mm -hmm. actions. So they start this process. And within a year, they've quadrupled the size of their firm. They're going nuts. And he wrote me this letter. This is about a year later. And he goes, let me give an example. This is the owner. He goes, it was a Friday afternoon. I'm going away for the weekend with my family. And I was leaving early. And I'm walking out to my car. And I realized I only made two cold calls that day. And in my mind, I'm saying, I make five cold calls a day. I make five cold calls a day. He said, I couldn't get in my car. I had to go back in my office. He said, my intention was to leave three brief messages, reach out to three new people. And he said, from those three calls, I booked two appointments and got two new clients a couple of weeks later. It's simplicity, man. Yeah. Because if I tell myself I'm making X amount of cold calls per day and I don't do it, I experience dissonance and it forces me to do the thing. But if I don't review it every single day, then I feel no obligation to that. It's like people tell me all the time, yeah, I've done goal setting before. I've done goal setting before. I've done goal setting before. I'm like, well, do you review it every day for 10 or 15 minutes? No. Where is it? It's in my desk drawer. Well, that to me is like putting it next to your brain. Yeah. Like You got to put it in your brain so you reach in and pull it out every single day. If it's next to your brain, you'll reach in your brain and pull out an excuse. Hmm got to put it inside your head. That's what the daily quiet time ritual does. It puts all the amazing things you want to accomplish, like right at the top of your brain, because you're going to reach in that brain. Neuroscientists estimate 35,000 times a day, you're going to reach in your brain and make a decision. Big decisions, a small decision. You got to make sure you're reaching in and picking out what you put in this morning, not something that was put in there 30 years ago by accident. Okay. So are you familiar with Vern Harnish and scaling up guys? Yeah. So, you know, they really talk about the importance of a daily huddle. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing, though, is not just the fact of, hey, it'd be great to get everybody in your team together every morning for four minutes to have a daily huddle. It's what you do in the daily huddle. It's the public declaration of exactly this is who we are and this is what we're going to have. Funny, I've got so many clients that practice that and I'll be there on consulting projects. And I always ask to join the daily huddle if they have one and they do a good job. They'll come in and say, yeah, yesterday we hit this number. Today we're doing this, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But nobody's stating the affirmative actions they're going to take, yes. right? So yes. they talk about what happened and what we're going to try to do today, but there's no affirmation like, I will make 10 cold calls today, yes. right? Public declarations dictate future actions. So yes, those huddles can be very beneficial. And it's important to review the daily numbers, right? And kind of see that we're on track for whatever. Sure. But you can use a kind of a public prosperity plan as almost like a mission statement. 
and have people read it like a Pledge of Allegiance, right? Kind of like the mission statement, but the problem with mission statements, well, there's not a problem with mission statements, but they could be rather vague, right, and ethereal. I like specifics, like you're not going to see I make 10 cold calls a day in a mission statement, right? So maybe that's a separate document, this what I call this prosperity plan. But you got to have specific actions you're going to take. There's got to be the personal accountability. That's the only way to execute on a consistent basis. You know, that's such a good point. And I don't want to get too far off of our topic here, but so many business owners will be too abstract in what it is they're trying to do. And then say like, well, I just want to grow. Okay. Well, how much do you want to grow by? I mean, do you want to grow by a hundred autos or a hundred thousand? They're like, no, no, no. I want to grow way more than that. It's like, well, what in 25 years? No, but no, not in 25 years, but they will not give you the specifics. So it's so funny. I've got a business partner of mine. He's the CEO and founder of a company called Rapid Funnel. It's a technology and I'm a minor shareholder in the company, but I'm involved on the sales side a lot with them. And they do the whole scaling up thing and they have the L10 meetings and they start the L10 meetings and everybody says something they're excited about this week. And that's how they build culture. And I'm just like, I can't do it. Right. I need practical stuff. What am I going to do today? I'm really glad your son hit a home run. Right. But I don't have to hear it every week. I am like, I need (laughs) practical stuff. And and it's a give and take because I know my partner's right because he's all about the culture and I'm about the culture too. But like, I'm way more practical. Like, what are we doing today? I don't need to get caught up in a bunch of, vague, like you said, kind of ethereal stuff. Like, what am I doing today to make my life better? And maybe it's that way because that's what saved my ass. Getting up every day. Well, let me tell you one of the most amazing experiences I ever had. It was in 1998. I was in federal prison in Florence, Colorado at FCI Florence. And I would go to the library every day. And they had a very robust library. And they had in this library an old set of Tony Robbins personal power program. Yeah. And it was cassettes. And it was a 30-day program. And the whole thing is you listen to one segment a day for 30 consecutive days, right? And so I'd go in. I was so excited because I was learning so much new stuff. And I'd put the headphones on the library and I'd listen to whatever topic he was talking about. And every single day at the end of that lesson, he would say, now go out and do something decisive today. Take some decisive action to move closer to your goal. So every day I'd have to find something to do. And in prison, sometimes it was maybe just like go run six miles or go read a book, right? But I would have to force myself to take some decisive action. And I think that trained me. What is it? Emerson said, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear what you say. I'm all about the behaviors. And I know yeah. we got to have culture. I know we got to, but there's people in the organization like the CEO, he's great at that, right? On this company. But you also got to have drivers like me that are more practical in nature. Like let's yes. get stuff done. Yes, that's so true because you're not dismissing culture. You're not dismissing the importance of culture. But what you're trying to say is there's a practicality into, okay, great. We've got this awesome culture, but we've actually got to get blankety blank done. I mean, we've got to get this done. And I think that for somebody that's listening to this podcast, this is why his books are so great because they just read very practically of like, well, yeah, this is so simple. Like, I mean, maybe it's so simple. Maybe I should do it actually, you know? So, oh, this is great. Well, listen, I could dig into so many other things. I want to go into our E9 rapid fire questions. You ready for these? Okay. I hope so. Last book that you read. James Allen, Mind is a Master, still reading it. Okay, other than your books, I'm going to recommend your books. Absolutely have to buy your books. But what's the book that you would recommend the most to an insurance agency owner listening to this? An insurance agent listening to this. Well, this might sound a little unorthodox because it's not really about sales. But, you know, because I think the mindset is so important to success, I would say Man Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl, because it will help you put all your BS in perspective. When you were reading that book in prison, obviously he was in a concentration camp. I can see why that book would have impacted your life so much because I'm sure you saw you in him because of where he was. Well, the real lesson, like there's no pride in being a convict. People who go to war and suffer, people who go in concentration camps and suffer, right? There's a certain level of heroism to what they're doing. You don't get that in prison because you put yourself there, right? Sure. But the thing that got me was like, there's purpose in the suffering. And my thing was like, this is suffering. If I can find purpose here, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually excited to ask you this question. If there was a movie made about your life, who would you want to play you in that movie? Bruce Willis. Oh yeah. He's awesome. (laughs) He's good. I love that guy. What is your favorite tech non-native? So not your iPhone, but non-native tech tool or app that you use every day? Every single day. Actually, it's been Zoom the last year. I never knew I could do much so much Zoom in my life. 
I'm on there <laughs> constantly. Yeah, that's true. And my whole business has been Zoom the last year. It's crazy. You have had the fortune of meeting some pretty incredible people in your life and just get to know them. I mean, to get to the friends, Stephen Covey and so many other people. Mm-hmm. But dead or alive, who would you most love to sit next to on a 10-hour flight? Yeah, you might have asked me this once before. Maybe somebody did. There's two people, very different people. Number one would be Abraham Lincoln, right? Like, what was he thinking when you think about where this country was? I worry a lot about our country today and the deep divisions. And you think about the ultimate divisions was a civil war. Like, how did you fix that? Right? How did you fix that without half a million people having to die? Because I think we got to fix that. I'm not saying we're going to civil war in this country, but there's some deep divisions and we got to have somebody step up, right? And frankly, it wasn't Trump and it ain't Biden. We got to find somebody to step up and quit poking the bear. The one thing I was excited about Biden was that he was going to unify. And he's been just as antagonistic as every other politician. Somebody's got to step up. And I'd like to know what Abraham thinks about Abraham Lincoln. The other one was a guy I actually met a couple of years ago in the Bahamas. I did an event with him. His name is Rob O'Neill. And he's the guy that took the shot at Bin Laden. But that was like the tip of the iceberg with this guy. He was on CL6. And he was involved in the Captain Phillips story, the Tom yeah. Hanks character that was hijacked or pirates got him. He was on that crew. He was on the guy that saved Lone Survivor, Marcus Luttrell. That guy's got more stories. Like, it's the most fascinating human being on the planet. And you know 90% of the stuff he can't even tell you about. He came to my hometown, really? gave a speech one day, and I got to hear, you know, like you said, get to hear it. Yeah. And I got to shake his hand. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is some pretty amazing Dude, he tells a story of when he got the call to go help save Captain Phillips. And he was in D.C. or Virginia, wherever he was living. And he was in line at a like a convenience store to get some things, some gum and just some different things he wanted to take with him. And there's a guy in front of him just taking his sweet time. And the guy is like got the newspaper and he's talking to the store clerk about Captain Phillips. Like, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And he goes, I'm standing behind the guy saying, I'm trying to go save him in his mind. Right? Just get out of my <laughs> way. It was so, it was so funny. But uh, what a fascinating human being and just a very, very brilliant and just a tough dude. In your spare time when you're not working, what do you love to do? So you and I talked about this briefly. I love to golf. That's been a big thing. Two years ago, I got sucked into the RV life. I'm already on my second bus. and But I'm telling you, man, there is nothing more relaxing to me. I was talking to my wife about this a couple nights ago. We're getting leaving a trip next week for about 10 days. And there's something about... And this bus I got, it's like a big giant Greyhound bus. It's 45 feet long. I got a 30 foot trailer that I put all the toys in, the Jeeps and all that stuff. It's 75 feet running down the highway, man. I feel like a big rig driver. (laughs) But there's something very relaxing to get in that thing and you're just cruising down the highway. And, you know, I still got this idiot box, this phone. So people are still calling me and texting me. But it's like, there's something like, it's like, it just makes me feel peaceful. Like I just got some peace here. It's crazy. I don't know what it is. RVing and golf, man. It's just did a trip out to Bandon Dunes. Have you been out there in Oregon? Twice. That was my first trip. That was a trip. Oh, it's amazing, Crazy. isn't it? Yeah. We did oh, end up taking this podcast way down. Did you play Sheep Ranch, the new one? Yes, we played all five, including Sheep Ranch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, after the podcast, you'll have to tell me about Sheep Ranch. Because I played all of them except for that one. It was the opening. We were there in August of 2019, last time we went. If you're a golfer listening to this and you've not been to Bandon Dunes, you need to book it now because it's filled up for 2021. Yeah, so we got fortunate. We were there three days, played two rounds a day, perfect weather the first two days. Got some rain and wind the, the third day. I got COVID while I was out there. I came home, a couple of guys started texting, hey, we got home and got COVID. And so somebody on the trip gave us all COVID. But, you know, it's either that or the vaccine, so I'm good either way now. <laughs> exactly. You're good now. Talking about travel, your favorite travel destination, favorite place you've ever been in the world? I'm going to seem like a real redneck here, but Kapalua, Maui. And I know there's more beautiful, fancier places. I wanted to go to Marinello, Italy. I ordered a new Ferrari over a year ago. It was supposed to have been here, but Italy got hit really bad with the COVID. Yeah. And I wanted to go there while they were making my Ferrari, but the travel was restricted. But I just got a notification. It just came out of the factory, the production line, and it should be here in about six weeks. So I'd love to go to Italy, but my favorite place, Kapalua, Maui. It's just the most peace. I've got the vast majority of my writing in Kapalua. It's just a peaceful place. You got to be having some inspiration standing on the 18th tee at Kapalua. I got to tell you the first time, just real quick, the first time I went to Kapalua, I was a year out of prison. I was dating this girl and her family went to Maui every year. So I'm out a year out of prison 
and she invites me on this trip. So I'm a year out of prison. I get permission from my parole officer to go to Maui. <laughs> I had never been anywhere, dude. I get to Maui and we're driving into this resort, the Pilikai Resort, and just across the street, I see the Kapalua butterfly. I'm like, Kapalua, that's where the plantation course is. And this girl, yeah, you're going to play it in a couple of days with their brother. I mean, you got to be kidding me. And I started thinking back, I think it was a 99. Back then it was the Mercedes, I think. or that yeah, yeah. But there was a playoff with Tiger and it wasn't DJ. I, I, maybe Ernie, was Ernie. Yeah. And it was a battle that last, uh, like if it had been a major, it'd be on ESPN every weekend. But I'm watching those in that last and Tiger ends up with, I think the second extra hole, Tiger wins. And it's been a battle all day. And I watched that in prison just a few years earlier. And I couldn't believe when I stood on the number one tee box at Kapalua. And I'm just like, I was in prison a year ago. I was watching that tournament three years ago in the day room in the cell house. And here I am on this course. It was a trip. I had a house there for years. And we sold a number of years ago. But we were just out there just a couple of maybe three weeks ago. I was telling my wife, you know, we could have a place out here again. It's just so hard to get to. It's an eight-hour flight. But anyway. I started asking this question towards the end over the last couple of months to some of the podcast guests, and especially now because we're kind of coming out of the COVID thing. But what is the one thing that you feel like you learned the most about yourself during the past year? So jokingly, people said you're going to come out of COVID pregnant or fat. Well, I ain't pregnant. I did something COVID balanced. I learned that left of my own devices, too much time on the hands is not a good thing. I think the thing I learned was actually a good thing. So prior to COVID, I traveled for probably the 10 years previous to COVID, 200,000 miles a year. And my wife and I have only been married eight years, nine years. And like, we had never really been together that much. Like our whole relationship, I get home, I'm home for two or three days, I'm on the road again. And so this COVID for us was make it or break it. We had never been around each other for weeks and weeks and weeks and months. It turned out great, fortunately. But what I learned is that I really want to slow down that my quality family time is the single most important thing to me. And I have modified my business and my schedule. I've reshifted a lot of resources towards other companies' investments that require less of my travel time. I don't mind the work. You know, I'll sit in front of this computer and talk to people, but I've got several businesses I'm involved with. And I really learned that I just don't like to travel that much. Yeah. I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that. I think that's important. And I would agree with you. I honestly could say the exact same things that I learned over the past year, too. Now I put on some COVID pounds as well. So I'm, I'm excited to get back out and I gotta knock those off. All right. Last question. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. What's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given? I think the best piece of leadership advice is to make sure you're in the right jungle. And what I mean by that, it's a Stephen Covey metaphor that leadership and time management and all that back before Stephen Covey was about the clock, right? Being on time. Mm -hmm. Dr. Covey introduced the concept of the compass and the watch. It's not enough to be on time. You got to be heading in the right direction. And he uses the metaphor of a company, this make-believe company that's slashing trails through the jungle, right? And they're slashing trails and they got the machetes. And so you got your frontline workers and they're slashing the jungle. And then behind them, you got the supervisors making sure they show up on time and hit their quotas. And behind them, you got senior management that's kind of discussing new methods of how we can sharpen the blades and new techniques and things. And what do we want to do next? And then there's the leader and he's on a ladder in the tallest tree in the jungle. And he surveys the jungle. He says, hey, guys, we're in the wrong jungle, right? We're going the wrong direction. So companies can make progress and not be going where they want to go. Mm -hmm. And so the number one piece of advice to make sure, you know, it's that old thing, be careful what you wish for. My big dream for years was to be a New York Times bestselling author. Well, let me tell you something, be careful what you wish for, because what comes with that is a plane ticket, because you're going to be on planes to make a living. So I was making progress. I mean, listen, I don't regret writing my books, and I love the experiences I've had from that. But it's like it came with the double-edged sword. Right. So you got to make sure that you're making progress in the areas. It's not enough to be making progress. You got to make progress in the areas that are really important to you. And I think sometimes a lot of us just kind of get on the assembly line and we just start going and doing, doing, doing. And again, getting COVID, it's like our being home for a year and getting COVID. My wife and I got it at the same time. But it's like you get on that assembly line and you just go. And sometimes when the assembly line breaks down and you got to step off, it's like, wow, do I really want to be on that thing? And that was really important for me. And so I've made some lifestyle changes and some business changes to help kind of accommodate doing the stuff I want to be, which is be in my RV. (laughs) 
Oh, man, if I could get a good internet connection everywhere I go, I'd be set. Well, then I know somebody is going to want to connect with you, your company, obviously purchase your books. Where is the best place for people to be able to find out more about you and some of the programs that you guys offer? Yeah, I think if you're just looking for the books and things, uh, Amazon's always your best bet. You're going to buy the books there at the best price on the planet. Our website is weldonlong.com, W-E-L-D-O-N-L-O-N-G, weldonlong.com. You can get information there. I do a lot of keynote speaking and that's starting to pick up again and uh, training programs and the mindset. We do have some online programs. People can get information about that at the website as well. Weldon, thank you for your story. Thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure, brother. Enjoyed it. Wow, wasn't that a great podcast? I always try to give a couple quick things that really resonated with me. A couple of the ones is just the importance of having that quiet time ritual. And if you've read his, pick up his book because he goes into the detail about the prosperity plan. We got into some of those, but really just that quiet time ritual. And he said, look, you've got to find the time. You've actually got to work at finding the time to be able to do these things. And the same thing with focus, that it is hard and it takes practice and work to do it because it's actually easier to not do it. It's easier to just kind of let yourself drift as opposed to designing the life that you actually want to have. The conversation we ended up having about cognitive dissonance versus resonance and just that standard of accountability. And then he talked about thoughts that lead to emotions, that lead to actions, that lead to results. I thought that was very poignant. You know, he had a lot of one-liners and a lot of quotes that I was writing down and books that were recommended. But if anything, at the very beginning, he talked about whenever he was in prison, the importance of finding focus and the importance of finding purpose in your life. And just as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we always start with people's background and origin stories. And there's just some amazing stories, but he may have one of the most fascinating stories. I mean, for him to be where he was in life by his own actions, the things that he had done in his life and the way that he was able to turn his life around through the importance of your thoughts. What a better, I mean, I just don't think there's a better example of the importance of doing so. And lastly, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, whenever we talked about the conversation around public decorations result to your future actions, public decorations, and just how we ended up talking about the importance of a daily huddle, but exactly what it is that you're saying there. I thought his thoughts around that were absolutely fantastic. As he said, if you want to learn more about welding, go to weldonlong.com. He does have some incredible training around mindset. So definitely take a look at that and obviously pick up one of his books. I think if you're not doing a book club with your team, his book, Power of Consistency, is a great place to start. We ended up talking about kind of the huddles and the importance of, you know, I'm going to make five calls or 10 calls. But at the end of the day, your sales team has got to have leads that they're calling. And so visit directclicksinc.com and see how they can help you make a difference in your approach to generating new business. They only work with PNC insurance agency owners. They got thousands of hours literally, of creating different split testing. I mean, they've worked with people just like you. Can you do it on your own? Sure, you can do it on your own, but you don't have the perspective that they have just running thousands and thousands of different campaigns for insurance agency owners across the country. They can deliver exclusive leads through your website, and they can even help you generate some inbound phone calls. They can help you with your SEO campaigns. A lot of different options out there for your SEO, but when you want to work with somebody that just knows your business and has worked with hundreds of insurance agency owners around the country just like you, visit directclicksinc.com. Similar to Direct Clicks, Club Capital was built for agents, by agents, so they know your struggles. They know your struggles when it comes to accounting and payroll, HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and quite frankly, a lot more. If you want to get serious about growing your business, and growing your revenue, you need more leads, but you also got to manage the back inside. So let's let Club Capital take your back office, make it much less of a hassle, and make it more of the strategic generator. The thing that can take to grow your business, grow your leadership, and grow and develop your team. So visit club.capital. You're going to be able to go in there and book a complimentary, no obligation demo. Take a look at what Club Capital can do for you in transforming your financials and using that to be able to make better decisions in your business. Because it's not just data that you can get from your financials, but it's also perspective. And you can use that perspective to make better decisions in your business. 
And as we discussed today on the podcast with Weldon, just the importance of having thinking time in your day, that time of that quiet time ritual, but then also having the space to be able to work on your business. But to do that, you got to have some really good data, but not only data, but you got to have some perspective and Club Capital is able to give that for you. They track over a hundred million dollars in annual revenue and $70 million in annual expenses. So they have the data to be able to help you make those better informed decisions for your agency. Go to club.capital today, book your complimentary, no obligation demo. As always, thank you for your loyalty and listening to the Club Capital Podcast. If you would, could you go into Apple, if you're listening to this on Apple iTunes, leave us a review, tell your friends about it, help us to continue to grow the podcast. We appreciate your support. We appreciate the feedback that we get. Until next time, lead well.